So that's uh, anybody who's been on any of our volunteer teams for the last, uh, really for the last two years, because we've not been able to have our, our regular volunteer banquet uh, for the last couple of years, uh, please go and, and, and do that and know that, that you are incredibly, incredibly uh, meaningful and important to us, and we are super, super grateful um, for all the work that you do to help make this ministry possible. And I just want to throw my own two cents worth uh, for the love life thing too. Um, you know, there, there, there is no more precious gift than life and then eternal life in Jesus. And God's the provider of both. And, and life matters. And we live in a culture, in a world that uh, doesn't understand that anymore in many, many ways, in many places. And so we want to, we want to be among those who stand for truth, who stand for righteousness, who stand for life. So if you can be a part of what we're doing, uh, partnering with Love Life Ministry here in town, I encourage you to participate in that. It's an important work that they do, a prayerful work that they do, uh, trying to help women in crisis pregnancy situations to choose life and then to support them through that decision. So, so please join in and be a part of that if you can. One last, one last thought. Uh, if you have our Resurrection Church app, I encourage you to go ahead and check that out under... Uh, messages part of that you can follow along there's an outline there for you to follow along for the message today and every time i put an outline i always close it out with some practical steps you can take during the week to work out the things we talk about in church and so i encourage you putting the word into practice to follow that up this week and and see what you can do but with that said lord we love you we thank you for your word by which we are instructed by which we're formed and shaped as your people by which we know who you are and who we're supposed to be Speak to us now through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, hallelujah, and amen. All right, well, praise the Lord. Let me just get this set up here. Uh, today on the church calendar is the seventh and final Sunday in the Easter season. Uh, so let me just begin by saying, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. That also means, by the way, that this coming Sunday will be Pentecost Sunday. And as a result, that will usher us into the Pentecost season on the church calendar. The season focused on the life of Jesus lived through his church. The life of Jesus lived through you and through me. The church calendar is basically just an ancient tool to disciple and to help the people of God to worship by training God's people and helping them focus on Jesus, walking you every year through the life of Jesus. And the Pentecost season, which is almost upon us, focuses on the gospel reality that Jesus is at work in the world right now through you. In other words, what the Lord wants to do today, He wants to do through you. And I pray this morning that stirs you to want to rise up and get it right. I pray today that stirs you to want with everything inside you to be and to do everything Jesus wants you to be and to do. I pray this morning that stirs you to want to change, to want to grow, and to want to fulfill your own Pentecost calling. Too many Christians today are kind of just biding their time. They're enjoying the forgiveness of their sins, pursuing whatever it is they want to pursue while waiting one day to go to heaven. But that's not how it's supposed to be as followers of Jesus. 
And I believe with all my heart that God is calling His people right now to become the church He intended us to be. To rise up out of our comfort zones and to step firmly into our Pentecost callings. And with that thought firmly in mind, let's look together at the Word of God. This morning I want to begin looking at this week's gospel lesson. I won't finish it, so we'll pick it up again in a couple of weeks. But just to get us focused and moving, as you're able, would you stand with me please in honor of the Word of God? And we're going to read together John chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. John chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. If you're with me here in the Center for New Life, I'll read the plain text if you'll join me in writing the reading the highlighted portion. And if you're worshiping with us at an alternative location over our YouTube channel or live stream, just read the text as it pops up there on the screen, and that way we'll walk through the passage together. But John chapter 17, beginning at verse 11, this is what the Bible says. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. <clears throat> now before I dig into this test this morning, the text this morning, I want to take a moment briefly to remind you that your life and everything about your life is designed for God and the purposes of God. Even your salvation was ultimately designed for God. Two weeks ago in our midweek communion service over Facebook Live, I shared very briefly from Psalm uh, chapter 98, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. We've already taken some time in the service this morning to sing to the Lord for the marvelous things He has done. And I hope you understand, whenever you do that, you are obeying a clear command of Scripture. But also this morning, I want you to notice the second part of that verse where it says that God's right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. They've worked salvation, they've wrought deliverance, they've won the victory for Him. They've worked salvation for God, even though God has never needed saving. God has never needed delivering. You and I are the ones that need that. We're the ones that need saving. We're the ones that need delivering. But the text says, He worked salvation for Him. 
He wrought deliverance for himself. And I want you to stop here and listen carefully for just a moment. Because here is a fundamental truth about salvation. I told someone earlier this week, I I don't find one in ten Christians who really understand it. But the truth is, when it comes to salvation, God saves you for himself. You were created for God, and if you've been saved, you were saved for God. God doesn't save you first and foremost so you can one day go to heaven. God saves you first and foremost so you can be and do for Him what you were created to be and do in the first place. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. And the life you now live in the body, you were supposed to be living for Him. Next week, several young people from this fellowship will come and present themselves before this family of believers to be confirmed in the Christian faith, to affirm for themselves the baptism they received as infants, to acknowledge publicly their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to declare before you their intention to live out their days as faithful followers of Jesus. After a year of instruction, I hope and pray very much that they really understand what that means. Because it means so much more than just that one day when you die, you go to heaven instead of hell. It means, frankly, that you recognize and you fully accept that your life is not your own. That you were made for God and you've been saved for God. His right hand and His mighty arm have worked salvation in you for Him. And with that foundation firmly in place, let's look at this week's gospel reading. Jesus was preparing to leave this world to return to his place in glory. In fact, immediately after he prays this prayer in John 17, he goes straight to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's arrested, eventually trucked off to Pilate, eventually crucified. Jesus knows his time on this earth is short, which makes the words of this prayer infinitely more poignant. The passage begins with Jesus saying to the Father, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. And here we find the context in the heart and the mind of Jesus, the context of these words he's about to pray. Jesus knows he's leaving soon, but he's concerned about those he's leaving behind. Life in this world is hard. If you imagine it's supposed to be easy, if you imagine that because you are a Christian, the Lord's somehow just going to smooth it all over for you, you've not read the book very carefully. And you're in for a world of confusion and frustration. Make no mistake about it, the Lord loves you with a God-sized love. But this world is a broken mess. And it's going to be a broken mess until the moment Jesus returns. So you can hear something of the concern of Jesus in his words, but they are still in the world. And so in light of that concern, Jesus prays, Holy Father, 
Protect them by the power of your name. Say, protect them. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The original Greek here reads, keep them in your name, or guard them in your name, or watch over them, or preserve them in your name. And while this prayer certainly could include protection from things like sickness and muggers and hostile governments, the things we often care most about, Jesus had bigger things in mind. So the protection Jesus is praying for here is not primarily protection from pain or suffering or difficulty, but protection from the sorts of things that might draw you away from Him and faithful service to Him. Remember, you were saved for Him. Specifically, Jesus is praying that God would protect you from the sorts of sin and selfishness that lead to broken relationships. Broken relationships with Him and broken relationships with other people. Keep them in your name, He says. Protect them by the power of your name so they may be one as we are one. Not protect them by the power of your name so they'll never be hurt or disappointed, but protect them by the power of of your name so they love and worship and work for you together like they are supposed to. In other words, Jesus is saying protect them from being self-centered. Protect them from becoming arrogant or insensitive or judgmental or uncaring or jealous or critical or gossipy or hard to get along with. Keep them from these sorts of things. Keep them from from any form of tribalism or or, or judgmentalism or prejudice, racism or whatever. Keep the young from, from looking down on the old. Keep the old from looking down on the young. Keep the rich from looking down on the poor. Keep the poor from looking down on the rich. Keep whites from looking down on blacks and blacks from looking down on Asians. Keep them in your name from the temptations and the sins so common to man that break your fellowship with God and that lessen their love for one another. Keep them, Jesus prays, in your name so they may be one as we are one. This prayer for God's keeping work is way more about keeping you connected to God and your calling to love God and love people than it is about keeping you from pain and heartache. In fact, I want to make sure you understand, as a follower of Jesus, suffering well is part of your calling. Relying on the grace of God and the presence of God in the midst of the brokenness of this world is absolutely fundamental to living the Christian life successfully. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. It is inevitable, Jesus said, that stumbling blocks will come. The Apostle Paul said we must go through many hardships in order to enter the kingdom of God. And everyone who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This prayer then, for God's keeping power over you, is largely about the preservation and the perseverance of the saints. It's about keeping you strong in the faith, 
in your love for and trust in Jesus is about keeping you faithful unto death that you might receive a crown of life. Too many Christians today are way more worried about their eventual retirement or their present happiness than they are about the condition of their souls. But in this prayer, the Lord Jesus himself is praying for God to keep you from the sorts of things that threaten your souls. From greed, or lust, or cowardice, or perversion, or apathy, or any number of deceptions. In fact, in the very next verse, Jesus says this, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me, and none of them has been lost. None of them has perished except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Now make no mistake about it, Scripture is going to be fulfilled. It is the written Word of God. But notice Jesus is contrasting here those He protected in the name of God and Judas Iscariot. The one who betrayed Him, who left Him and fell away. The one who was lost. The one who did perish. Listen, Jesus loves you dearly, and so he prayed for the Father to guard and keep you from relational brokenness, from sin, and from falling away. Today, you almost never hear Christians praying these sorts of prayers. For God's grace to function as one within the church. For God to keep us from sin and from falling away. But I assure you, if you read more ancient Christian literature, you look at the church fathers, or writings in the Middle Ages, you, you read Luther and the contemporaries of Luther, you'll find a lot of prayer for precisely this kind of protection and keeping. Now please don't get me wrong and do not take anything I have said this morning to suggest that God somehow wants you miserable that he wants you to suffer disappointments and heartache, or that he somehow delights in anything like it. The truth is God wants you to prosper, to be filled with joy and hope and peace, to abide in his love and favor, and to, enough, to abound with an eternal sense of meaning and purpose. And he wants you to have and do all of that in the middle of this broken, messed up world and in spite of its disappointments and hardships. So Jesus goes on to pray. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I say these things, Jesus said, that they might have joy. I say these things, Jesus said, that they might have the fullness of my joy. And I want to make sure you catch that. Jesus said, I say these things that they may have joy. In other words, the very words of Jesus are designed by God to bring you joy. The very words of Jesus are designed by God to bring you hope and to bring you peace. And so let me just say this. If you are struggling to walk in joy, if you are struggling to find and to know the love and the joy and the peace and the hope and the security and the rest God wants you to have. First of all, listen, I get it. 
Life in this world is hard. But I believe it will really help you if you begin to spend less time focusing on the things that disappoint, focusing on the things that hurt, focusing on the things you don't have that you really, really wish you had, and begin to spend more time focusing on the words of Jesus, the words and the promises of Jesus that are designed by God to bring you joy designed by God to bring you peace and hope and love and meaning and security and confidence and rest. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to stop here for now. But we'll return to this passage in two weeks, and I'll try to finish it out then. In the meantime, I want to close this morning in the same place I opened, by reminding you, if you have been saved, you have been saved for God and for the purposes of God. And it is time for us as the people of God to rise up in our Pentecost calling, to let Jesus be fully formed in us, and to allow Him to fully complete His work through us. I have a good deal more to say about that in the weeks to come, but for now, let's pray. Father, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. The word by which we're instructed. The word by which we come to know who you are and what you're like. The word by which we come to know who we are and what we're supposed to be like. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have prayed for us that, that the God himself, the Father, would keep us from the sorts of things we're so easily drawn to. That would pull us away from you and your purposes. Help us walk in the power of your Spirit, to walk in communion with you, to walk in the truth of your Word, to be the light of the world as you've called us and commissioned us and sent us to be, to make a difference in your name, to love you and to love people well. Help us be the church, the people of God you've called us and created us to be. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.